Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, so it's great to see everybody, and we're going to be uh, talking about pastors, elders. Um, I had mentioned um, we recently had a gospel meeting with a brother who did a sermon on um, qualities of the eldership in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and um, I've been meaning for some time now to give a lesson like this, uh, which is a lesson more looking forward and thinking how do we how do we build towards appointing an eldership in a church where that's more of like a far-in-the-future long-term goal. I want to start with uh, reading a passage from Ephesians chapter 4, and then we'll be going back to Titus chapter 1. Um, but I want to start in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. So it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So you'll notice three times it mentions the growth of the body here, that verse 12, roles of leadership, in the church are for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You'll notice in verse 15, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And at the end of verse 16, when every part is doing its share, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The idea is God has given his church in an overwhelming capacity the tools that are needed to equip growth to empower growth, and to motivate growth. And God has called his church on a localized level to be continuously growing. And in Titus chapter 1, uh, we'll be spending the rest of our lesson there. Uh, verse 4, this is addressed to Titus, who would have been an evangelist, someone that in Ephesians 4 is a tool. Evangelists are a tool for the local church to be equipped for the building up of the body. And you notice in verse 5, Titus is given a mission statement by the Apostle Paul. And this is something that as an evangelist, I have tried to take very personally. Notice he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there's a responsibility that God has given to an evangelist to appoint elders wherever they are. Um, that's not something that I think just happens magically or quickly in every situation. Uh, maybe there are times where there are men who are very quickly, once an evangelist works with the church without elders, um, you know, there are already men who have been maturing for a long time and the process of appointing those men isn't as much a long-term thing, but I think very often the case is that this is a long-term process and that an evangelist is called 
to equip the church, to work with the church, not so that he just all of a sudden appoints men at one point, but through patience, through teaching, through exhortation, through admonition, through encouragement, through rebuke, that an evangelist works with the church to equip them that they could work together congregationally to one day appoint men who are fully qualified to do the work of pastoring a local church. So how does this happen? How does this happen with a group like here? Um, I think there's two things that I want to bring up just by way of introduction. This only happens through prudence and preparation. Prudence would be looking ahead, having the wisdom both to see the goals that God has set for us, what does growth look like in the Bible, in the New Testament, what are marks of maturity that God has set that he's calling us up to, and wisdom calls us to a prudence to look forward to see what God has called us to, to care enough about that, to strive toward it, but to have the wisdom to understand the steps that it will take to get there. Because again, appointing elders isn't just this magical thing that happens by accident or because a congregation is simply getting by, but because of deliberate effort that's put in. So and that gets to the second point, with prudence, preparation. So a congregation as a whole, an evangelist and the group, need to first learn to be prudent and understand that God is calling us to grow and equipping us to grow. But we need to have the diligence to be proactive. How do we get from here to there? So in my mind, when I kind of look at this group, there are a lot of challenges, right? Savannah is a bit of an unstable place because it's very transient. Not many people come here to stay here forever, right? So that, that presents a challenge. But what we need to do is we need to constantly be thinking about the importance of how critical elders are in the work of a local church. Um, I've heard it said this way, and I think this is a very clever way to illustrate the point. Imagine you're in a local church, and you have the inability to get grape juice for the Lord's Supper. Like, you literally, you can't get it anywhere. You can't order it. You can't get it from a store. You can't get it online. They won't ship it to you. What do you do? Do you just resign yourself to the fact of, well, you know, we're just, we can't do it? Or... Do you try to look for a solution and say, well, maybe we can plant some grape vines and one day we can have grape juice for the Lord's Supper so that we can actually do the things that God has told us to do in the way he's told us to do it, right? And so sometimes the church is in a situation where you just need to work toward what God has said you need to be. And so as a church here, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how far out it may be, we need to be constantly praying about and thinking about this church's needs for elders and not getting satisfied with getting by or how we're doing things now, but continuously seeing our need to raise up leadership, to be qualified to be men who can serve as pastors, pastors qualified men, not being done in haste, not being too quick about it. Um, another thing is, Titus was doing this in Crete. Later in the letter, he brings up that Cretans were... They had a reputation for being incredibly immoral, right? God has a reputation of raising up great godly leadership in some pretty surprising places. He's done that in Israel's history. When David became a leader, the nation was in complete catastrophic turmoil. When Boaz was serving in his capacity with Ruth, that was a horrible time in the time frame of the judges. Um, again and again, we see good leaders being risen up in bad situations. 
So elders could be appointed in churches in Crete, these incredibly immoral societies, right? So our ability to have good leadership doesn't depend on the world around us. It depends on our faith, our diligence here in this group. Another thing with this, this church has never had elders as long as I've been here. But I want to bring this up as well. A brother named Paul Earnhardt, he's one of those like Apollos preachers that is very old now in Kentucky. Uh, A friend of mine who knows Paul Earnhardt has mentioned to me that Paul Earnhardt had met an elder that he had believed was like the most effective elder he had ever met in his life. Did the work more effectively than any other elder. And he found out that this pastor did not attend churches with elders ever before he was appointed, ever. And what this man had done, as he was growing up, he would go to the Bible. He would read the qualities of an elder. And he would continuously just come back to it again and again and read them and apply them and determine, this is the kind of man I want to be one day. And that man, who never attended a church with elders in his life, and Paul Earnhardt, who has been to so many congregations across the world, In Paul Earnhardt's mind, this man was the most effective elder he had ever met in his life because he just went back to the Bible and he determined, I want to be the man that I read about here and I want to become that man. Prudence and preparation. Lastly, this is a congregational effort, right? So this isn't just a sermon for like the one, two, three, four fathers, you know. Um, I know there might be more, more than four, but there's only a few fathers in here, right? And there's a lot of women in here and some are single, some are married. So you know, we have a diverse group here, and, and this is a lesson for all of us. This, this is a congregational effort, not just the work of a few. And when we have a culture of growth and spiritual seriousness and unity, that's what equips a congregation to have good leadership. So it's not just the work of a few, it's the work of everybody. So this is going to be a very simple lesson. I've talked to some older men about how to give a lesson like this, and they commended to me just some very simple things that they, they thought a church like this could very immediately start applying. So this is not going to be an exhaustive lesson looking at the qualities, but more summarizing applications that we can make to be prudent and to make preparations for the future. So I'm going to read Titus chapter 1, verse 4 through 11, kind of put this back into our mind, and then we'll look at some brief applications that we can make that can help us apply some of these qualities. Titus chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teachings so that, he will be, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So how does a man become this person? How do they become a person who has a family, where they have children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, where they are hospitable, they're self-controlled, they love what is good, 
and that these qualities in their life are so evident, you look at that man and you say, this man has the qualities of someone I trust to do this work, right? How do we get there? First thing, very simply, is this is describing a person that is purposeful in their spiritual development. This isn't somebody that's just coming to assemblies and they're hearing things and generally satisfied and maybe convicted and very encouraged by what they're hearing at assemblies and the studies at assemblies. But this is somebody who is being very deliberate to apply the word of God on a much more persistent and personal level. Something I want to encourage you to do here, and this this is more an introduction to the next, next qualities here, is what does purposeful growth look like? It looks like taking a command that is relevant, that is challenging, keeping it and meditating on it, wrestling with it, praying about it, seeking God's guidance with it, having conversations about it. Each of God's instructions, they inherently contain the fullness of his nature, his purpose, his power, God's commands are inherently humbling in their nature. They, they build our view of who God is. They cultivate our understanding of how much we need him, how he supplies those needs. It changes our perspective, our priorities. And something that I've noticed with myself, you read the Bible, you hear sermons. And oftentimes you're hearing so many different things that there's really nothing you're necessarily holding onto specifically or you read a letter to the church and there's so many applications, it's like, where do I even begin, right? And so we need to be more wise about that. How do we apply diligent, personal, spiritual growth? Again, take one command and keep it, not just for a week, not just for two weeks, but I mean something that you're keeping for months and years, that you're you're continuously meditating on it. I'll give you some examples. And these aren't necessarily things you've got to turn in your Bible to. These are just examples. What if you took Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and you just kept that with you? Do everything without grumbling or disputing. What if, that took you to, what if you took that to work with you? What if that you brought that into your household? What if you talked about that with your children? What if you tried to pray about that and talk to God about that and ask for his help with that? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, maybe you feel like that's not necessarily a verse that, you know, challenges you like others may. How about Romans 13, verse 14? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You know, if you're struggling with a sin in your life or struggling with, you know, different aspects of relationships and things you're being exposed to at work and things that you may expose yourself to on the internet or television or you know, friendships that you have where there's a lot of challenges with how to interact with people in the world? What if you brought that into your household? What if you talked to your children about this verse, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts? What about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's a verse, by the way, where every time I even hear that verse, it's like, man, there's so much work I need to do with my language, with my conversation. So, like, what if you just took that verse, you memorized it, you repeated it to yourself, you're driving to work in the morning, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. 
You know, if you let that wash over your mind and settle in your heart and you prayed to God about it, you talked about it within your household, you talked about it to your children, you talked to brethren about it and you set goals with the brethren to have more edifying conversation. What if, what if you did that? Would that have power to change your faith and mature your faith? Maybe it's Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 13. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. What if in your interactions with brethren and people in the world, you, you took that verse, you memorized it, you carried it with you every day, you repeated it to yourself as you're driving to work, through your day at work, in your relationship even with your children, as your children are annoying you, and you had this attitude to apply this verse and seek God's guidance, God, help me put on a heart of compassion and kindness. Help me to be more forgiving with others and to be more patient. Would that have the power to develop and mature your faith if that wasn't just something you heard and thought about once a week, but it was every day for weeks, months, years? Lastly, for household relationships, what about Ephesians 6 verse 4? Something very relevant to what we're talking about. Fathers, do not exasperate, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or you could think about it with a wife's role in the family relationship. What if we took those things, continuously disciplined ourselves to think about it, talk about it? How do I do this? How do I apply this? How do I make sure that this is living in me and being carried out through me in my everyday life? What if we did that? And that was the kind of culture we had in this congregation. And so again, I just encourage you, be purposeful in your spiritual growth. Don't just hear things and be encouraged by what you're hearing at assemblies. Don't just read the Bible and be encouraged by the reading. Look for something, one command, one, that you make the anthem of your life, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but even years. We'll get back to that at the end of the lesson. These last things are things that... um, in conversations with older men and an elder particularly, simple things that can be applied. I was encouraged to focus on hospitality as something that a congregation can apply, again, on on a congregational level, not just men who have families who are um, potentially going to be pursuing this work. There's a brother named uh, Brian and another brother named Lamar, who I'm going to be quoting here a little bit. Um, Lamar mentioned that this is how the work of pastoring happens, hospitality. And we're going to get back to Lamar. Brian has a couple quotes here. He said, it's not managing the church's money, even though that is, you talk about elders' work. It's not managing the church's money, even though that is a necessary part of his job. It's not making decisions either, surprisingly, although he will be required to make many. It's not even teaching the gospel even though he must be able to teach and so be able, in fact, to exhort and convict those who contradict. This is what Brian says. This is an older brother in Alabama. He says, first and foremost, an elder is someone who watches souls. That is the work of an elder. He says, if we can get young families to start showing hospitality now, it would sure help in developing elders for the future. Not just in meeting that specific qualification, but in developing concern for souls, a greater awareness of needs, and better listening skills. 
And so Lamar, uh, and these, these two guys, they, they attend the same congregation, but Lamar stressed that, again, this is where the work of shepherding happens, and he gave me some examples. That there may be things that he perceives at a congregational level, at assemblies, but really it's when he's getting together with people over lunch, talking with people outside of the assembly, that he realizes the depth of struggle that some members have with sin, where he is able to enter into that struggle and bear that load with someone, to really work with them, to give them guidance. And those are the kinds of things that he mentioned to me where there are nights where he literally will not sleep all night because he's so concerned about this need that a brother has or they're struggling with sin, he's, he's unsure if they're making the right applications or the right movements in their lives, but it's through the work of hospitality and the application of hospitality where the work of shepherding really happens. And what does that look like? I think hospitality can kind of have a very narrow, idealized form where maybe we think about hospitality exclusively as inviting people into our homes. That's very important, and I think that is an important aspect of hospitality. But I want you to think about this. Do you think Jesus was a hospitable person? I would say that Jesus is probably, safely, the most hospitable person that has ever walked the planet Earth. Did Jesus have a home to invite people into? He didn't at all. Jesus' hospitality was much broader than just having a household to bring in people into. It was rather how he would connect with and communicate with people. It was how he would connect with and communicate with people. And I think that happens in two main ways. I think hospitality is when we invite people into our life. And there's maybe a wide array of ways that we can apply that. Inviting people into our life. And where we are deliberately seeking to put ourselves into the lives of others. And I think that gives us a lot of freedom to think, okay, well, how can I apply hospitality in those ways? And think, did Jesus invite people into his life? And did he put himself into other people's lives? Look, that was his life. Every day, Jesus was seeking to put himself into people's lives and invite people into his life. And while we're trying to do that, I think, again, with the freedom we have to apply that, we can easily send someone a quick text to instigate a conversation through the week. We can be asking people for prayers through the week. We can be getting lunch with someone through the week and just asking for help from God to have maybe more substantial, spiritually-centered conversation at those opportunities. We can learn to give more of ourselves by communicating more honestly about what my spiritual needs are and allowing someone to serve me and help me with those needs. And before we move on to the next application, just kind of a warning here. A lack of hospitality ultimately demonstrates a lack of care for people. I think that's why this is such an important application here. You notice in Titus verse 8, or 1 verse 8 particularly, he brings up a lot of nots. Not this, not this, not this. What's the first thing he says when he starts talking about positive applications? He says, but hospitable. A lack of hospitality fundamentally shows a lack of care for people. I've known in the past, I've been in congregations where there are older men who are being considered as elders. 
but they're not hospitable. You know, they may understand sound doctrine, they may teach at assemblies and lead great Bible classes. If you ask them for wisdom, they may share it and have some insightful things to say. But when you really put yourself into their life, they're not in any way involved with anybody through the week. They don't have any idea the spiritual needs that anybody has at all on an individual level. They're simply aware of congregational matters and understand sound doctrine. Important things, not the character of an elder, though. Because, again, the character of an elder is someone who cares for and watches over souls, primarily on an individual level, more than a congregational level, right? Um, We'll stop there. Grow in your ability to teach. And this is something I think we can we can all apply very immediately um, the more we think about it. A brother named Rick Ligon, who's in Illinois, um, here's something he said about the need for elders to be teachers, seasoned teachers. He said, fundamentally, that's what elders are, teachers. Men who use the word of God to lead, guide, and direct the souls that are under their charge. And I would suggest that the Lord's church would be much better off if elders concentrated more on their teaching work and less on business management. And so elders need to be people who are seasoned and diligent teachers. Something that I appreciate that he brought up as he went on is where does teaching begin? Where does it start? Knowing how to give information And to give information to be understood starts with knowing how to receive information and seeking to understand. And his point was, an elder, if they're a seasoned teacher, they first need to learn how to be a seasoned listener. Because an effective leader will seek first to understand first and then to be understood. James 1.19, for instance, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, And I think it's no accident that after that he talks about be diligent doers of the word and also receive the word with all meekness. And so an effective leader is first someone who knows how to understand and listen first. And just think about this. If I'm striving to understand others and listen carefully, do you see how that equips me then to communicate effectively back and to understand how to speak to be understood? Because I'm already doing the work of, as a listener, here is how I'm understanding an argument or a point. Here's the questions I'm asking and kind of being able to grasp something. And that equips me inherently then to teach others for the sake of them understanding, not just dumping information. Um, So we need to listen to people. An elder has to be somebody who has developed a reputation for listening. Because an elder needs to be somebody who becomes a confidant to others. Somebody that people in the congregation are comfortable going to, talking to, and they have confidence that he is going to listen carefully, that he'll listen without getting quickly upset or emotional. God encourages us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And an elder is someone who reflects the characteristics of our king, that he's going to listen and care and therefore we have the encouragement to allow him the trust to shepherd our souls. So secondly, beyond listening to people and listening in general, 
An elder is somebody who needs to be proactive in listening to God's word and listening to be very familiar with it. I think we see that especially in verses uh, 9 through 11 of Titus chapter 1. They're holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So this is somebody who is disciplining their life over time to ensure that the reading of the Bible is a habit that they are not forsaking into their maturity. I have found it to be very discouraging that in talking with certain elders, they don't read their Bible. They interact with people. They'll talk to people, try to help them through, help them through things, but they don't enjoy or love reading the Bible on their own. And in my mind, that, that's the first things first, right? If, if you haven't cultivated such a love for God's word where that's the center of your life and existence, then you have no place shepherding others when that is rooted in having energy having an attitude and perspective that is coming through, being fueled by your love for God's word. And so much of what needs to be counseled is related to helping people understand you may just need to be reading God's word more and letting that change your heart as you make that a habit in your life. And how can you help others with that if you haven't developed that for yourself, right? So an elder to grow in his ability to teach needs to first himself have a love for God's word, right? Third thing with this. One, listen to people. Two, listen to God's word. Three, teach a Bible class. Teach a Wednesday night exhortation. Something that Timothy was told in 2 Timothy is to entrust these things to other faithful men also so that they will be able to teach others. An evangelist, part of his work is equipping others to teach, right? And I think that's something that we can apply here very immediately. Um, when we're thinking about Bible classes next year, when we're thinking about Wednesday night exhortations, that although people get sick, you've got to cover very quickly. And, you know, it's very encouraging. Paul told Timothy to remember the public reading of Scripture. I think just reading is a great way to start teaching publicly. But it's so critical to understand how to make points from God's Word and how to think about God's Word and reflect on it, where as you're reading it and reflecting on it, you are considering how to teach these things to others, right? Which should be a natural extension of a personal love of God's word. And so just kind of looking for ways to slowly involve yourself more in teaching, making certain goals for yourself, preparing long in advance. There's ways that we can navigate this as a congregation where with our Bible class curriculum, you could say, hey, Brian, I just want to teach like one Bible class in this bigger context, maybe... Um, the next series on Wednesdays is going to be spiritual disciplines for developing faith. You could say, you know, I've got something. I'd maybe like to teach a class on that. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's, hey, Brian, next year I'd like to be involved, even if it's just one class on teaching a Bible class. Or could be something like when you're signed up for a Wednesday exhortation. You really put in the work and you take that seriously, that you are teaching others the word of God. And so you put in the effort, you think about God's word, and it's not just this passive thing that you do all of a sudden, you know, 30 minutes before Wednesday night Bible study begins. So grow in your ability to teach. Fourth, doctrine. So you notice there's a key word in verse 9 here, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine. This is a concept that the world aggressively pushes against, the idea that there is a such thing as sound doctrine. 
But an elder needs to be a person who is willing to have some uncomfortable conversations, who is willing to be very bold in standing with God's word and the simplicity of what it says, even if that's mocked or scorned at. Um, How can this be done? Just appreciating doctrine, sound doctrine. I think it starts with asking questions. Like, hey, you, you know, most congregations use instruments. Why don't we do that? Right? And making it a point to study through that and, you know, asking questions is what leads you to understand something and personalize that understanding. So ask questions about what we do or what the Bible says about things and let's, let's look into that together. So understand the importance of doctrine. An elder is someone who needs to know sound doctrine and to be able to talk to others about it in a way where they are persuasive and firm against those who may stand against what is sound and biblical. Lastly, grow in managing uh, your household. Um, this is another one of those simple things that I think you know, we can apply very immediately. But what I want to focus on here is that the main responsibility of the condition of a household is put on the father. So notice in verse 6, he's the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. But I want to look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 5 here, as a way of kind of looking at another angle of this. 1 Timothy 3, verse 5. And again, the main responsibility for raising children is given to the father. Uh, Verse 4 and 5. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So there's a time for everything, right? The reality is when you've got young kids, you've got much less time. Like your ability to be hospitable is much less than someone who's single or married without kids or, you know, someone's grown up, their kids are moved out. Very different, right? There's a time for everything. I remember my brother telling me something he had to learn with having kids is the need to slow down. You know, he was doing a lot of Bible studies through the week and he just had to realize, like, I just can't do as much as I could when I didn't have kids. And I just have to trust God that putting attention on my children and investing in my household is a good thing that does require my time and energy. So there's a time for everything, right? Sometimes managing your household means you've got to slow down on other things, maybe cut away some other personal hobbies or pursuits. Children are worth the investment. We are stewards. Husbands are stewards of their wives, and we are stewards of our children. God has entrusted the souls, the eternal souls of our wives and our children into our care. We are going to be held accountable for the way that we have been a steward of our wives and their souls, and fathers are going to stand before God and give an account for the way that they shepherded their children's souls. God gave us children to redeem them back again. And in Minnesota, something that was a hard thing that I noticed a lot and was true about me, was true about me. I've seen a multitude of teenagers fall away. A multitude. Um, I was a teenager that fell away. It's a big problem when your child is growing up. And before they're a teenager, they're not interested in spiritual things. They go up to Bible class, they have no idea what's going on. They don't answer the question, they're just not very interested. You know, they go because of their parents. Notice those things. 
catastrophic mistake I've seen made again and again in my short life. A child falls away, and the parents say, I don't know what happened. I took him to church all the time. Took him to the Bible classes. I don't know what happened. Listen, fathers, I'm talking to fathers first. This is the primary responsibility of fathers. Do not make the mistake of thinking that your child's love of God is going to happen because of their presence at assemblies. Don't think that your children are going to learn to love the Bible because of coming to Bible class on Sunday. Don't ever let yourself think that. The teaching of children happens first in the household. Anything that happens here is a minor compliment to what ought to be happening in the household. That's the father's responsibility. Now, I know, obviously, a wife generally will be the one spending the majority of time with their kids, right? That's just that's how it's going to be. But a father is primarily responsible and accountable for ensuring that those things are happening. God has given us that responsibility, and if we accept it, if we accept it and learn the joy of it, that's where elders come from. That's where men come from who are able to shepherd others, to shepherd their hearts, to cultivate a love of God, to have spiritually centered relationships. And so much of it just gets down to, again, this first point, being purposeful in your spiritual growth. If, if a father is overlooking the spiritual development of his children, he hasn't been applying step one. Because if someone's being, spirit, if, if someone's being deliberate and purposeful in their relationship with God, they're going to learn to love people and show hospitality. They're going to want to start getting more involved with teaching and sharing God's word with others. And they're going to have an awareness of the priority of my job as a father and husband, I need to get my children not only to heaven in the future, but I need to give them the deepest possible love of God that I can possibly instill within them. They need to love God more than me. They need to understand God better than me. They need to understand sin and salvation and the Bible and navigate all of this understand what the world is and what God says about that, and all of these things, a parent, God charges the parent to see themselves as a steward to instill these things in their household. So there's other things to say, right? But I'm not a parent. Um, You know, hearing parenting advice from somebody who doesn't have kids um, is a little ridiculous, but something Lamar told me that I'll commend to you is just some things to think about. Be consistent. Don't tolerate disobedience. Be on the same page as your wife and communicate. Be consistent. Don't tolerate disobedience. Be on the same page with your wife and communicate. And that's coming from an older man with children moved out of his household who are faithful to God, who is serving as an elder of a church with a wife who is faithful to the Lord, right? Be consistent. Don't tolerate disobedience. Be on the same page with your wife. Communicate. I want to conclude the lesson with Philippians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. And I think ultimately this summarizes the grandest attitude and anthem of a local church who is maturing and growing in a way that cultivates all of these things together. Philippians chapter 2, 17 and 18. Paul says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of, service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all 
You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Look, these things, these aren't the same kind of, you don't get fulfillment from these things like you do from watching a nice movie, playing a video game. Not that those things are wrong, but there's a sense where this is, it is a discipline. This does require effort, work, sacrifice. Elders are men who learn joy through sacrifice. Putting first things first and learning to find joy when putting first things first means I'm going to lose sleep. It means I'm going to have less time for myself and where I just am pushed to the limit to depend on the Lord again and again and again and serving people. The people who find joy in that are people who become elders. Congregations who understand that are congregations where elders arise and lead and shepherd the flock. So I commend to you the lesson. If you're here this morning and something in the lesson has convicted you if you're not a Christian, um, I would encourage you, there's no greater moment than now to consider your need for the Lord and salvation if you have not put on Christ in belief and repentance, confession and baptism for the remission of your sins. There's no better place to be than in God's kingdom. Even a, a tent peg in the border of the kingdom is better than life outside of that, even presently, before we see eternity. If there's any need that we can address to help you in your faith, please bring it forward while we stand and sing the invitation song.